0: Hills. Glad you're here to worship with us. Let's stand together. Let's bring our praise to the Lord.
1: going to kick off a new series Sunday and so we're super excited about that. We're glad each and every one of you is here and especially if you're a guest of ours, um, maybe you haven't been around that long, an extra special welcome to you. We're just thrilled that you're joining us and we would love to know you're here, hear a little bit about your story. On your chairs there's a connection card that says we're glad you're here, which is true. Just uh, pick that up and there should be some pens as well. Fill that out. We'll get in touch with you. We won't bug you too much but again we just want to know that you are here. Make some connections, see how we can pray for you that kind of thing so welcome 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 now for those of you who maybe have been around a little bit longer uh, you might have been noticing some changes that are starting to happen around the building we now have coffee down in the south lobby we're starting to have rooms change around things painting different signs are starting to pop up that kind of thing and so this is all part of this welcome initiative that grant talked about a few weeks ago so we just wanted to give you a few updates well, one of those updates as we're talking about it is, um, I've got Emily Davis up here. Everybody say, hi, Emily. <laughs> She's so thrilled to be up here talking instead of singing. <laughs> um, she actually had a really cool experience that I wanted, she wanted to share with you guys um, about what happened a couple of weeks ago down in the South lobby.
2: Yeah, like three weeks ago, I went to go get coffee because it was there and I met three different couples that I'd never met before.
1: Wow, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. So tell us more about that. What
2: was it like? Um, it was pretty, I was pretty nervous at first because I was like, kind of leaving my group of people that I normally talk to and just choosing to try to be bold and go, like I went down there to meet people. That's what I did. Um, (laughs) And everybody was really nice. And one couple, they had only been coming for three weeks. And so it was cool to get a chance to meet them and connect with them. And I actually just talked with them for like 20 minutes at the end of service. Awesome. And then the other two had been coming here for a long time and I just had never met them.
1: So, so how long have you been coming to Western Hills? Um, almost four years. Okay, and how often has that kind of thing happened? Not that often. Not that often, that's okay. So what, what do you think was different this time? Yeah, I think it was my, my
2: choice to, to leave the group of people who I feel comfortable with that I've met in connect group and like have formed connections with, but the goal, like when I come, first started coming to church, I wanted to meet people. And so I can be that person too. Huh.
1: That's so great. Let's give her a round of applause. That's a great story, Emily. And I think it speaks so well to exactly the kind of thing that God is doing right now and here at Western Hills uh, with the kinds of things that uh, the path that he's taking us on. And our goal is to create this welcoming environment that's going to remove all the barriers we can to living out the reality of Jesus to every person, every place all the time. And that certainly includes among our church family here, but it also includes people who may be coming to Western Hills for the first time or maybe be coming to any church at all for the first time ever. And so these things that we're working on, the initiatives that we're doing, the changes that you're seeing are all leading toward that goal. And so there's a couple of ways that you guys can come alongside us on this journey. The first is is to come. Just come. Be a part of what is happening. When you see a change, Be excited about that, engage in that. Um, For instance, one of the changes is when you drive into the parking lot, if you're looking through a newcomer's eyes, you look at the outside of the building and it looks like that should be the main entrance down there, right? Like there's a bigger um, awning, the bigger entrance, you come into that lobby that's all set up. So we're gonna go with that. So what you can do is start parking at that end of the building, start using that end of the building, come in, have some coffee, spend that time in the community space down there. It's probably the easiest ask ever You'll get some extra steps on your Fitbit and then you can come down here to the worship center. So that's one thing is just come on the journey. When you see those changes, be a part of them and be excited about them. Um, The second thing is that you could actually join our team. You could join the welcome team. So we are gonna have a whole group of people who this is going to be something forefront on their minds when they're here on Sunday mornings or online. We've got some options for you there as well, um, that, that they'll be welcoming, that they'll be looking for people they haven't met before, that they'll be actively trying to remove those barriers to newcomers especially, so that we can live out the reality of t- to Jesus when they come here to our building. It's a great way also for you to get plugged in, to meet people if you haven't been serving before. This is a fantastic and super easy place to start. So same connection card that we just talked about. If you want to take a minute there on the back, you can do it right now. It says, I'd like to, and there's one of the blanks there that says other. Just put welcome team on that other blank. If you want to join the team or if you just have questions about what some of those things are, and we will get in contact with you about that. Be ready there's other things happening parking lot restrooms just this morning our kids got an opportunity to worship in this room right across the hall we moved all the furniture out and you had kids in there dancing and singing so really cool things are happening God is doing awesome things and um, we're excited about that join us Emily is inspired she's going to be a part of it we hope that you will too well, we, uh, this morning as you know, as you've been hearing about a lot of anticipation, we are starting a new series called Let's Talk Mental Health. Um, I think you're going to get a lot out of it just from being here the first service. Let's take a look and hear what it's all about.
3: Have you come to the end of your rope? Do you feel like you're done?
0: Does worry cloud your day or anxiety cling to every thought? Does fear hold you back from experiencing all that God has for you? You're not alone. You're not
3: alone. You are not alone. Seventy-five percent of the American workforce has experienced burnout. One in five American adults is affected by mental illness. Anxiety disorders are the number one mental health issue in our country, compromising almost 18% of our population. 15 million adults have social anxiety. Adults experiencing depression have a 64% greater risk of developing heart disease. And Christ followers are not
0: exempt. 23% of pastors have personally acknowledged they struggle with mental illness. The prophet Elijah struggled with burnout. Even Jesus talked
3: about anxiety. Joshua and the Israelites battled fear. The early church struggled in the absence of Jesus. If God talked about mental health, we should talk about mental health. So let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. We're here. We made it. Big weekend. So glad you're with us. Uh, Let me take a quick sidebar and just talk about we're not done after today. Uh, Tomorrow night, we have our lead night. This is an incredible night of worship and prayer for us. Uh, I have been guilty, this church has been guilty of spending more time planning and working and even worrying uh, than we have praying and praising. And so we're calling the church together for a night to pray and praise and to put Christ where he needs to be. And that's going to be tomorrow night. We are going to serve a meal at 6 it's nothing extravagant, but it is food. Uh, and then we, at 6.30, we're in here, so invite you to that. Uh, three churches, one topic, that's what's kicking off today. Uh, Grace Point Church with the lead pastor Tim Hughes there, Countryside Christian with Nate Bruns. Uh, we're three very good friends, at least two of us are, and we are all kicking off this series together uh, talking about mental health. Uh, it is our country's number one health crisis. And there is no, there's nothing else that is competing with it right now. I want to add a couple of stats to what the bumper kind of showed. One in six kids between the ages of 6 and 17 will be diagnosed this year with a mental illness. One in six. So if you're a teacher, one in six of those kids in front of you. It's going to happen this year. Uh, The overall suicide rate in the United States has increased by 35% since the year 2000. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people between the ages of 10 and 34. It is the number one cause of death of males in that age range. 78% of suicides are males. These are incredible numbers, and what they mean to us is is that mental illness has a seat In every single family's life. You you will not meet a family that is not dealing with some kind of mental illness. And so what can we come and what what can we expect coming to church to hear a series about mental health? Because let's face it, the church does not have a fantastic track record when it comes to dealing with mental health issues. Well, I'm going to make you two promises during this series. And here they are. And the first one is this. There are no easy, shallow answers. You're not going to find them here. They do not exist. This is a complicated topic. And um, we would be very, it would be very dismissive to, to give shallow, pithy answers. The second thing that we are going to try to do is we're going to seek the redemptive, hopeful voice of Jesus. Now, like many of you, uh, I, I've had to walk through mental illness personally. I've had to walk through it f- from my family and from my friends. When I hear the numbers, I see faces. I see faces. I remember living rooms and dining rooms. I remember parking lots where we have cried and fought and sat in silence. So these are, are not just uh, uh, numbers for me and for many of us. Mental illness in all of its forms, whether it's the little forms of social anxiety to panic attacks to even diagnoses that require hospitalization, no matter where it is on the scale, it represents a darkness that is hideous and that has one aim for us, and that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It is affecting the whole person. It is not just mental. It affects physical, emotional, psychological. And as deep and as dark as it can be, as pervasive as mental illness can be, I do still believe that it does not have to have the last word in our lives. I believe that there is a light and a hope that can pierce that darkness. Now, this is not just me being pithy and shallow. This is rooted in the gritty, earthy experience of studying the life of Jesus. Jesus himself walked through hard, dark times. He himself experienced anxiety. He experienced the valley of the shadow of death. And when he came to earth and he began to walk among humanity and he began to heal, it wasn't just the physical ailments that he came to heal, but he came to bring light and hope into the darkest of situations. And that is what I hope we tap into. Now we kick off our series with a man named Elijah. He is by far my favorite prophet in the Old Testament. And you're going to see why in just a few moments. We're going to jump into the middle of Elijah's story. So if you have your scriptures, 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going. 1 Kings is a pretty big book in the Old Testament. Uh, If you're like me, sometimes you have to use the table of contents, but it is worth going there. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to start right in the middle of the story. Ahab, who's he? Hold on a second. Told Jezebel, I don't know who she is. Hang in there. Everything that Elijah had done. I don't know what... I know you don't know any of these things. Just quit interrupting me, and I will get to them in just a second. Here we go. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid, immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on to a day's journey into the wilderness. And he sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Okay, let me get you caught up on what's happening. It is the mid-800s B.C. We are about 100 years after King Solomon's reign. Now, King Solomon, David's son, he had a son. He gives the kingdom to the son. The son splits the kingdom wide open, civil war. And now we have Israel to the north and Judah to the south. So in the scriptures, where you see Elijah ran to Judah, he was in Israel. That means he left the country. <laughs> he left Israel, okay? So we have two different countries here. Now, Israel has a very dark and sordid history. Israel's kings and leaders would begin to marry foreign queens, and they began to introduce foreign worship into Israel, primarily Baal worship. Now, King Ahab was one of these kings. He shows up in the mid-900s. He marries a Phoenician princess named Jezebel and Jezebel as part of her dowry as part of her gift of the, her wedding gift she brings with her 800 prophets of Baal and she turns these prophets loose in the country and over the next few years these prophets will establish worship places that include the sex trafficking of young girls that include the sacrifice of babies that include the arrest and execution of prophets and priests who are loyal to Yahweh. This is a dark, dark time for the country. And in response to this, God raises up a prophet prophet named Elijah. And over a series of events happens that lead to this massive confrontation at a place called Mount Carmel. Now, at Mount Carmel, Ahab shows up with 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah shows up on the other side of the ravine. And there is now this standoff. And the prophets of Baal call to the crowd because thousands of people show up. Because this this confrontation has been brewing. And the prophets of Baal stand up and tell the people of Israel, you are going to have to choose who you worship today. Because if you choose Elijah and you choose God, death awaits you. And Elijah stands up and tells the people, you have to choose who you're going to worship today. If Baal is real, then choose to worship him. If God is real, choose to worship him. Today, you get to bet your life on which God is real, and I'm betting mine on the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel. Who are you betting your life on? So they set up the contest. They build these two altars, it's made of stone and wood, and on top of these altars, they put animals as a sacrifice. And they dig a trench around these altars to catch anything that may burn off. And the prophets of Baal start the process. Elijah says, you get to go first. Whichever God lights the altar first, that God is real. And I'm going to let you have the first attempt. This is why I love Elijah, a trash-talking prophet. <laughs> Elijah, you go first. And so Elijah... Elijah begins to watch them and and, and the Baal prophets go through these series of elaborate worship sequences. They, They yell, they begin to sing, they cut themselves. And as they're doing this all day long, Elijah is shouting at them. Hey, I don't think Baal is awake yet. I think you need to shout a little louder. Hey, that cutting thing, that's not working. Maybe you need to start cutting off other body parts to see if that works my favorite one now listen this is the scripture I am not this is not the grand English translation this is in the Bible okay my favorite one is when he tells him hey maybe Baal's just really going to the bathroom a really long time maybe he just had some and so this goes on all day and so at dusk at dusk Elijah says okay my altar the altar of Yahweh is it ready Yes, it is. No, it's not ready. I want you to dump water onto this altar. Because we all know how well wet wood lights up. And he says, don't dump a little water on it. Fill it. Put enough water so that it fills these trenches. And they did this four times. And then here, here was Elijah's fantastically complicated uh, a worship service in which he invites God to alight the fire. Okay, this is, this is how complicated it is. Elijah prays, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, burn this up so that people will know that you are God. That, that's it. That all, that's all he says. He doesn't walk around, he doesn't take an offering, he doesn't. Say, I mean, th- this is, This is all he says. And in a moment, lightning screams from the sky, doesn't just light the sacrifice on fire. It consumes, it evaporates all of the water. It shatters the altar to dust. And the people go crazy. Place just erupts. They arrest the prophets of Baal. They have a trial right there and they execute the prophets of Baal. This is a moment of incredible victory. They allow Ahab to escape. They tell him, go home and tell your wife what happened. And this is Jezebel's response. And this is Elijah's response to her. And this is where we need to drill into the story because there are five life-changing truths that speak to mental health in this story that we really need to get anchored into. And the first truth comes at us right here in this moment of where Elijah leaves the country and he does something very, very foolish. He leaves his community. He goes to a completely different company, c- country. He leaves his, his servant, his person that's going to take care of him, and then he runs into the wilderness without food and without water. And he is suicidal. He wants to die. And this tells us our first truth. And the first truth is this. There doesn't have to be a reason. Elijah is in this place of incredible depression, of suicidal thoughts, of this massive amount of anxiety that he has put himself in physical, emotional, spiritual danger, and there is absolutely no reason for it whatsoever. Elijah should be... On the on the biggest rush, he should be living like he's had fourteen Red Bulls and an espresso, right? He 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 should be out of the roof excited because he has taken down the wicked witch. He has defeated the enemy. He has watched fire rain down from the sky and cons- he has talked trashed and been able to back it up with the prophets of Baal. He is, I mean, this is this is the most significant. Listen to this. This is the most significant spiritual event in the life of Israel since the exodus. Do you understand how big of a moment this is? The most significant event in the history of Israel since the exodus. And Elijah is in the middle of it. It doesn't happen without Elijah. And he lets one crazy voice drive him to depression and suicide. I have no idea how this happens. I just know that it does. That there are times where darkness just feels like it is going to swallow you up whole. And there's absolute well, why? I don't know why. I don't know. Well, if you can't tell me why. Well, if I can't tell you why, it doesn't change the fact that it is. Sometimes there is no reason. Truth number two: healing is a complicated process. I'm going to read to you what happens in the next few verses with Elijah, as he finds himself suicidal, alone, wanting. He's he's he. When he lays down, he's not laying down to take a nap. He is laying down to die. And and, and this is what happens. The Lord sends an angel to him, and the angel told him, get up and eat. And Elijah looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones, a jug of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Don't, don't, Don't miss this. Then the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank, and then on the strength from that food he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb the mountain of God there there's a complexity here to healing that God walks out with Elijah God doesn't shame Elijah for having this moment of failure after this incredible moment of success He doesn't shame him He doesn't say hey man put on your big boy pants pray a little more, have a little bit more faith, we got work to do. God doesn't doesn't say that to Elijah, right? God knows that where Elijah is, he is mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and physically depleted. And God's primary concern for Elijah is, I need to get you physically to the point that I can get you to a safe place, and then we'll deal with the other stuff. But I'm not going to deal with all this other stuff when you are in physical danger. So eat, drink the water, and notice how much time it takes for Elisha to get to a safe place. Forty days. Forty. God is not In a hurry. He's not in a hurry. There's no pressure for Elijah to get this fixed quick. He's like, no, man, if it it takes 40 days, it takes 40 days. That's what it takes. God knows that this is going to be a process and it is not going to be quick. And maybe, maybe from Elijah's perspective, he hears this and he gets to the place, okay. If I, I'm just going to get to Mount Horeb. And, and maybe Elijah is going through this process in his own head, right? Maybe he's going, okay, I'm going to get to Horeb and then it's all going to be better. I'm going to get to, if I could just get to Mount Horeb, it's all going to if I could just get to that place, it's going to be fine. Well, that is not what God promised Elijah. That's not what he promised him. In fact, if you if you take a look at scriptures, there's a lot of this happens all the time. We, as humans, have this idea of, oh, if I get to that place, then it's all going to be fine. If I can get to that place, then everything's going to be great. If I can get to this position, if I can go through this process, if I can get to that location, then everything is going to be great. And God's going, what, what, No, 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 no. God's version of healing seems to be this. I'm going to get you well enough and hopeful enough, and I'm going to bring just enough light to take the next step. And then when we take that step, we'll do it again. We'll take the next step. He is a light unto our path. And and I'll be honest with you, this is the most Frustrating thing in the world about following Jesus, because I know infinitely better where we should go. If he just listened to me, no, we got we got to get there. We got to go there because if I get there, I'll be well and just go. Okay, uh huh, uh huh. All right, just take the next step. I don't want to take the next step. I, I know that's kind of the problem. So healing is this complicated process. Healing is going to be possible for Elijah, but but I want to make sure a couple of things that we notice here. God never promises Elijah that it's going to be the same again. He promises Elijah that I will be with you. I will be with you. 40 days, we get Elijah to Mount Horeb and he hides out in the back of this cave in the mountain. And God opens a dialogue with Elijah in this place. And he goes, Elijah, Elijah, talk to me, man. Elijah, why why are you here? And in the verses that follow, there is this unleashing of anger and hurt from Elijah to God. This is way worse than any than any family meal you may have when the mother and daughter finally get mad at each other and they start fighting, hypothetically speaking. I mean, I think this is worse. It's way worse than any kind of of conflict that may arise, right? It's like, ooh, that's a sensitive spot. Like, ooh, okay. No, 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 no. This is an all-out, this is an all-out assault that Elisha puts on God. He says, I have been zealous for you. I have fought for you. I have stood alone for you. I have watched your country abandon you and, and betray you. I've watched them worship other gods. No one else has stood with me, uh, and, and they're killing God followers. These prophets of Baal are running rampant all over the world. I'm all alone, and I'm next. And God says to Elijah, "Can I can I sit with you? Are you ready to have a presence with me, Elijah?" And Elijah doesn't answer. Elijah stays in the cave, and God says, "Good enough." God's about to teach. Elijah, the third truth here. And the third truth is this, is that my feelings may be real, but they're not necessarily factual. My feelings are real, but not necessarily factual. So God rips through, so God, so as Elijah is sitting in this place and it's all of this anger there's a mighty wind that rips down through the canyon. There's an earthquake that rattles the cave. There's a bolt of lightning that lights up the sky. And the scriptures tell us that God was in none of those places. And that Elijah inches toward the mouth of the cave at this point. And then God, there's a whisper that happens. And he, he immediately recognizes the presence of God. Now, I want, I want to say something here. And I don't want people wigging out on this. I think this thing actually happened. I really do think there was a mighty wind, an earthquake, and a lightning. I do. But I also think that this is a larger metaphor for what is going on inside Elijah's mind as well. That there's all this noise. There's all this wind. There's all this shaking of the earth. There's all of these flashbacks of the lightning coming from the sky. There's all of this stuff going on in his head. And God waits, God waits, God waits for Elijah to... Take a breath and be still. And he waits for Elijah to do this. He doesn't shame him into to do it. He doesn't beat him with the obedience stick to do it. He waits. And when Elijah gets still, he is then able to hear the whisper of God that I believe was with him the whole time. But only when he got still was he able to, to hear it. And I think God's just doing some really good therapy with Elijah in this cave. I'm just going, let it, let it out, man. Get all this noise out. And when he gets still, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and he asks him the same question of, hey man, why are you here? And Elijah tells him the same answer, this time with a little less heat behind it. I'm alone. I stood for you. I'm exhausted. I'm fearful for my life. And this is how the Lord answers Elijah. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you are to anoint... Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephat from Abel Mahaloah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael. And Elijah will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. I really want you to see this here. God's not angry with Elijah. God doesn't even heal him of of some of the darkness. He, He doesn't completely take it all away. But what God does say is he's gonna teach him two incredible truths about mental illness, about mental health. God says, listen, I know you are in a dark place and I know that you are never going to be the same again after what's happened to you. So we're gonna put some people in your life to help you carry out this mission. You're gonna make Hazael and Jehu and Elisha, you're gonna empower them so that you're not carrying all this weight. And that it's not all on you anymore. And what God is teaching Elisha in this moment is this it's okay to not be okay. Because God is not done with you yet. I need you to understand this. Elisha is not okay. He is not okay. It may be 40, 50, 60, 80 days, a year, it may be years down the road, but he is not okay. He is not escaping that darkness, that suicidal thoughts, that idea of I am all alone and I'm just done and God's done with me. Elisha is not okay. And God says to him, That's okay. That doesn't mean I'm done with you. It is okay to not be okay. God's not done with you. And then he just kind of sneakily reminds the lies. He just kind of slips this in at the end. Oh, by the way, there's 7,000 other people that haven't bowed to Baal. Just putting it out there for you, brother. You're not alone. You are not alone. Listen, I, I don't want to get too hokey, but I know, I know somebody in this room needs to hear that. I am not okay, but that's okay. And you are not alone. In fact, I'm going to do something a little unconventional. I want you to say those last two truths with me, okay? We're going to start with the one that says it's okay. So we're going to say this together. Yes, you're going to say it out loud, and I'll know if you're faking it, and I will call you out from up front right now. Because this series is about mental health, and what could possibly go wrong with a pastor calling out somebody in public? Okay. <laughs> Probably shouldn't do that. Okay, I will not call you out, but I think it'd be really helpful because somebody around you needs to hear this said to them. It's okay to not be okay because God's not done with me. I am not alone. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. As the worship team come on up, we're going to get ready to to do some worship this morning. I want to put a verse up on the screen for you. It's Psalm 118, verse 17. Preparing for this series, I was reminded of a message I heard years ago uh, from a guy named Louis Giglio. Um, I actually got to meet Louis Giglio when, when I was in college. We were both young and Crazy, and he was starting this worship thing called Passion. I was like, "Well, that's never going to take off." Uh, he ends up uh, launching this this uh, new generation of, of just incredible worship music. But but now he's a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, a few years ago, he really went through a massive a massive state of depression and suicide, th- suicidal thoughts um, to the point that he, that he even went through some inpatient therapy. And um, as, as he was going through it, um, he, he, it took a while. And, and his first Sunday back at the church where he was pastoring, he gives a message. And if you've ever heard Louis Giglio talk, he, he's not very organized to begin with, <laughs> okay? Uh, he he kind of wanders around. It's, it's a 55-minute message Okay? But, but, it, about in the middle of it, something kind of clicks with him. And in the middle of it, he stumbles across this phrase that ends up becoming kind of the catchphrase, kind of the, the mantra for him over the next few years. And the phrase was, I'm not okay, but Jesus is. I'm not okay, but Jesus is. And, it wasn't this pithy, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to put my Jesus on and everything's going to be rather. There, there was a weight, there was a depth to this statement of going, I know, I know I'm not okay. But I also know that my relationship with Jesus gives me glimpses of light and hope to take the next step. And I know he's okay. In Psalm 118, 17, for Louis just took a brand just it was like he read it for the first time. It was like it was like all of a sudden this verse had a completely different meaning for him. I will not die. I will not die. But I will live. And I will proclaim what the Lord has done. I will not die, but I will live. And I will proclaim what the Lord has done. As I begin to think about this phrase, I begin to reread the gospel with a different set of eyes. I think Jesus says this all the time in the gospel. I know you're not okay. I know you've been living in a cave possessed by demons. I know that you just saw a thousand pigs jump off a cliff and die. I know that's a weird, this is a weird day. I know you're, I know you are not okay. But will you take the next step and just go home and tell what the Lord has done? Look, I know, I know you're not okay. I know you're not okay. It is really weird to see a guy walking across the water in the middle of a storm and you grew up on the Sea of Galilee and you've never seen anything. I know, I know that right now in this minute, you are freaking out Jesus's language, right? I I know, I know you're not okay. But the wind and the waves obey me. Look, I know you're not okay. I know that you got caught in adultery and they've drugged you out half naked in the middle of all these people. I know. I know you're not okay. I know you're not. But you're loved. Go and sin no more. I know you're not okay. Thomas, I know you are not okay. (laughs) I know you're not. I know that intellectual brain of yours is going 30 million miles an hour and you have to put your hands in me and you've got to, I know, I know you're not okay. That's okay. Come get what you need so that you can proclaim what the Lord has done. It's okay to not be okay. You are not alone, and I know somebody in this room needs Psalm 118 prayed over them tonight. I know they do. So we're going to enter a time of worship, and we're going to we're going to kind of just open the doors. We've got some folks standing in the back, and here's the offer for you this morning. If you need, if you need someone to say these words over you to remind you of the truth of Scripture. We will do that. We have people here that will do that. We want to pray this over you. I will not die, but I will live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. Father, this morning, as we respond to you, you have the freedom to nudge and to push. You have the freedom to put us in a place to where we can hear and receive for you. Father, I love the fact that you, you enter these spaces with us in this darkness and and there's a struggle there, there's a reality there and that you enter into these places. Father, I pray against the false hope of just this can be fixed with one prayer. I, I pray against that. You show us over and over again in the scriptures of how you walk with us through these places that it is a valley it is a journey and it is a process and your promise is to be with us through that but I also pray for hearts and faces that are right here in this space that need to hear that need to hear you say I know you're not okay but I'm not done with you yet. I know you're not okay. I'm not done with you. We love you and we worship you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 Let's stand.
2: I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing of the goodness
0: Thank you for being with us and worshiping with us this morning. We're so glad you were here, especially if you're a guest of ours. As Suzanne said earlier, we've got some connection cards on the chairs. We'd love to know you were here. You can drop those in the kiosks on your way out or in the lobby. Uh, we're just really glad you're here this morning. Uh, I wanna remind you also tomorrow night, if you, if you wanna to listen to some great music and some time of prayer and praise together, we'll meet here. Service starts at 6.30, but if you wanna come for a meal, we'll start at six. So I'll remind you of that. And before we go, let's do our blessing together. I'll invite you to read this with me. In Christ, you go nowhere alone. Wherever you go, God is there. Wherever you are, God can work through you. He gives purpose to your being there. Christ, who dwells in you, has something to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in his grace, love, and power. Go be the church. Have a great week.